Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Our topical discussion this week is a subject that we have covered in the past. I'm not quite sure how long ago. It might even be about a year ago. (laughs) It's about equal pay and the gender pay gap. And the reason we're focusing on it this week is because uh, there's been some news in in the media about Morrison's supermarket and their legal battle over equal pay uh, because uh, there are a number of staff, former and current, who male are and female. male and female, who are potentially entitled to have their equal pay differential backdated and it could average out at about £15,000 per person, which is, you know, not an insignificant amount of money. And even for a retail giant like Morrison's, it it could be very destabilising. They've got a lot of staff. That's a lot of money. So we thought that it would be a good idea just to revisit the whole gender pay gap thing and where we are now because there was new legislation that came in last year where uh, organizations where companies have to declare what their gender pay gap is and the 4th of april will be the deadline when they need to do it again and there are lots of stats around that are comparing where they were a year ago to where they are now and i think it makes for some really interesting reading because the whole subject very often um, gets confused between equality. So is it equal pay or is it equality? Now, equal pay is where you are doing the same job of work as a a male colleague, if you're a woman, uh, and that you should be paid the same amount. And that's, um, that's where it gets really tricky because very often in terms of where what women's earning potential is, Often women are in lower paid jobs and we still have that. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole, you know, how many female board directors are there within large organisations? So it's making sure that we are comparing apples with apples. Uh, And in fact, if a woman makes a claim, um, there is the opportunity for men to make what is known as a piggyback claim, where if a woman has been if a woman's claim has been upheld, a man can actually cite that as as a reason to um, to pursue equal pay in, in his role. So it's starting to work both ways. But I think it's a really interesting subject. What, uh, have, you, what have you seen well, about this, Tracy? I started with the, um, the news headlines were about Morrison's mm. and it seems to be that there are two law firms that are leading this charge towards Morrison's. And... Um, one firm's called Lee Day, and they, they're saying that around 80,000 Morrison's employees could be entitled to compensation. Now, I should add that Morrison's have said that they're perplexed by the, the number that, of claimants that have been mentioned. And they believe that their colleagues are paid fairly and equally for the job that they do, irrespective of agenda. So Morrison's will be defending the claim. But I just thought I'd go through what Lee Day say um, you need to be able to show to have a, a claim. And this is of equal pay. So you need to show that the work you do is of equal value, that the reason for the difference in pay is due to your gender and can't be justified. And 
that and in Lee Day's case that you've worked for Morrison's for more than six years and both of these law firms are offering a no win no fee I've got to say when they're talking and dangling this potential mm. £15,000 under your nose you can sort of see why people are, are jumping on that band, particular bandwagon yeah I yeah. think it's a difficult subject in terms of going for back pay. I, I, I very much believe in getting equal pay for equal work, but I, I can also see the, the issues, you know, with historically with businesses and, and going with back pay. It could break a company to do that. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily right or wrong, but I do see that there could be some issues with that. That also then led me on to look at pay transparency, which I think you might... Have you done some research on pay transparency as well? Yeah, yes. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while because there's something else that we're going to be oh, looking yes. at. Yes. I jumped so, the gun. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. But yes, I've been all over pay this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, but one of the things that I have been looking at is um, there was an article, the BBC published an article yesterday uh, talking about the this new legislation where people have to declare and it's a really interesting article it talks about so it starts off with four in ten private companies that have published their latest gender pay gap are reporting wider gaps than they did last year that's a really scary statistic that's that's not a great one big firms with a wider pay gap include quickfit npower and virgin atlantic uh, but only about 10% of employers have reported their latest figures. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's this, there's um, th- there are, there's more data to come in. But there's a really interesting graph which talks about uh, where sectors pay men more on average and the, the, the type of industry sector. And it starts with um, the construction industry. All that bonging is my laptop. Sorry oh, about is that. that. You? It's it's um, <laughs> messages coming in. <laughs> a bit, I, I apologise for that. Um, that's how popular I am. Um, uh, starting with construction, where m- mostly 30% um, is, is, is the gender pay gap. And it goes through finance, communication, education, manufacturing, right the way down to health, an admin, which where the pay gap um, uh, is 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 lower, and those are traditionally industry sectors where more men are employed. So that goes back to the whole: how many women have you got working in in different types of jobs? But the thing I like the most, uh, before we come back to your point, is that there is there's a little field which says how big is the pay gap at, and then you can type in a company name. And it will tell you what their pay gap is Ooh. this year and what their pay gap was last year. So if I just went to type in um, Virgin Atlantic Limited, here we go. It says the company has reported a pay gap of 31% in favour of men. And the pay gap they reported last year was 28.4% oh. in favour of men. And the company's pay gap is higher than the average of all companies that have reported, which currently stands at 8.35%. So, obviously, it's only the companies that have reported so far. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on this um, search field because I would hope that it gets updated as more data comes in. Well, I I found another interesting resource, and, and this is comparing countries with the gender pay gap. And top of the list with the lowest um, gender pay gap possible is Iceland, um, closely followed by Finland, Norway and Sweden. 
And then in fifth place is Rwanda. Oh. I wouldn't have guessed that one. Um, Ireland, the Philippines, Slovenia, New Zealand, and in 10th place, Nicaragua. Now, um, the UK is right the way down at 20. Uh, the United States is way down at number 45. Um, bottom of the list at number, let me scroll all the way down, 144 is Yemen. Any idea why Norway ranks so highly? Well, there's been an, a bit of legislation in, in Iceland and um, Sweden and Norway and there's a bit coming in Germany as well. They've had this pay transparency. Right. So um, with it, Iceland have made it illegal to um, to have um, gender pay differences. But Norway since 2001 have had um, transparency of salaries where you can look at anybody's tax return. And, and find out what your neighbours, what your colleagues have earned and what they've paid tax on, um, which sounds idyllic. However, since 2014, they've made the searches not anonymous. So it's ah. a bit like going on to LinkedIn. And if you go and search somebody's profile and you click on it and view it, then the person whose profile you've looked at knows that you've looked at it. So they know that you've been checking out what you're earning. I suppose that's valuable for um, employers who might be looking to see because it would stop you saying oh I'm on 50,000 yes. <laughs> they were like no you're not you're on 35 but it's also been reported to be good for the government as well because it it helps them to um to um spot people who are evading taxes mm. and mm. They're, they're relying on whistleblowers you know looking at yeah. these figures of, of people and going actually that's you know they're not paying the right amount of tax but similar sort of um um, deals are coming in with Sweden and they're, they're actually starting straight off with it not being anonymous so um, if somebody wants to look at your tax return they will tell the person that you've requested the information but you can see it right. and Germany is also considering salary transparency and you know I think this has a big part to play in the gender pay gap because if it's well known what, what everybody is getting it, it's a lot more obvious and you it's a lot easier to counter any differences that you think are unfair. Mm, interesting, interesting. I, yeah, I think I, I think it's a really interesting subject. I, I I hope that as time goes on, there are significant improvements. Some of the companies that are li that have reported already are showing improvements. So I don't quite know where that opening line of um, you know it it's getting worse comes from for intent private companies <laughs> yeah maybe yes yeah and and you know that is a big it is a big big number but um i think it's certainly worth keeping an eye on this as the 4th of april deadline comes along and i'm sure we'll revisit it if you're self-employed and you're not sure what expenses you can claim, then HM Revenue and Customs reckon they've got all the guidance that you need online. And particularly if you're looking um, to understand car expenses and you're self-employed, if you use a car in your business and you want to understand uh, calculating the costs, the leasing and the personal contract purchases and all those sorts of things that you can claim tax on or not, then there is a webinar for you. It's specifically aimed at self-employed sole traders and self-employed partnerships. And HM Revenue and Customs are at pains to point out that it's not suitable for limited companies or company directors. However, if you are self-employed, then the webinar covers how to use the simplified expensive expenses method for car expenses, 
how to calculate the actual costs for um, calculating car expenses, including capital allowances and details on leasing a car and personal contract purchases. As it's a live webinar, you will be able to ask questions using the on-screen text box. If you're really keen, there's one today at 3 till 4 p.m. And then the next one after that is the 21st of March, again, 3 till 4 p.m. And there are a couple of videos on YouTube on the HMRC channel. Um, one's called Expenses if you're self-employed and another one's called Calculating Motor Expenses. Then I had a look at the ONS website and they've published their labour market commentary for February 2019. Just give you a quick summary of the main points, but the level of employment in the UK is now at a record high. Unemployment rate remains very low at 4% and the inactivity rate has been falling in the economy. In the three months to January 2019, unfilled vacancies increased by 16,000 to 870,000. Now, me and Heather were just wondering as we were listening um, to that track that uh, what, what are those 870,000 mm. vacancies? If you have unfilled vacancies in your business, we'd be really interested. Let us know. You can tweet either me or Heather at Tracy Carriad and Heather, your heather at salt-solutions.co.uk and go to our website leave a message on our blog so the website is the business start community but yes 870,000 unfilled vacancies in the UK at the moment uh, and they also mention in this report that the changes to the state pension age have significantly impacted on the labour market status of women aged 50 and over and the commentary goes on to say that although employment growth was strong, the overall macroeconomic context, so that's the big economy, uh, was less strong. In the fourth quarter of 2018, the economy only grew by 0.2% compared with the previous quarter. And um, it's shown over the whole year the weakest calendar growth in six years. So if you're interested, go to the ons.gov.uk website and you can see the full commentary there. I've mentioned these commentaries before. On the ONS website, there's a lot of data and you can download data sets and spreadsheets. But every so often, they write the article that goes with it as well. And you will see in some of the bigger publications, they lift that material straight out and put it straight into an article so uh, you could go and find that out for yourself and, and get all the detail behind the headlines Heather what have you got well I was looking at events and uh, there's, there's a bit of a, a bit of a theme running through today's show um, anybody would think that we planned these things um, next month the 8th of March is International Women's Day uh, it's a worldwide event that celebrates women's achievements from the political to the social and also calls for gender equality it's um, it's been observed since the early 1900s and is celebrated, as I say, across the whole world. Now, there are lots of events being held all over all over the place. And uh, I thought it would be useful and interesting to see what we've got going on, perhaps in our local area. But I came across a really interesting um, statistic from the World Economic Forum, going back to the gender pay gap that we were talking about. They believe that the gender gap, pay gap, won't close until 2186, when, let's wow. face it, most of us won't be here. Um, 
unless the, unless we've unless I hope I'm not still working if I am. Yeah, well, this is it. This is it. However, the theme for this year is balance for better and up in Chester on the 1st of March, so um, a week earlier than the planned day, but it's a Friday, there is an International Women's Day conference. Uh, and it looks really interesting. It's got lots of female speakers. Uh, tickets are £30 per person. Uh, but what I think is particularly interesting is that they have got, as, as one of the activities, an all-male panel where they will be talking about their perceptions and views and attitudes towards women in the workplace, which I think sounds like a a right good opportunity to to just see what it's like from the male point of view. Get Can both I just say sides. that I think the men on that panel are going are very brave. Yes, I think they are, but I think but they are to be commended. They are yes. to be commended yes. uh, and recognised. So, so that's a thirty pound event, as I say, first of March in Chester, uh, and also uh, speakers from. Um, Lots of lots of different organisations. So I quite fancy that one. And then if you were going slightly further afield um, in London on the 7th of March, there is uh, an event about women in digital and technology. This is only an evening event. But again, I think it looks interesting because it ha- it talks about the types of work that women can do um, and, and, and how many of them are working in the digital and technology sector. And finally, I've got, let me just get this information up. This is, um, oh, sorry, I pressed the wrong button. Here we go. This is over in, it's all going very well today. Shouldn't bring my laptop. This is over in Nottingham. So it's a bit farther afield, but it's a business growth and networking event, International Women's Day, 8th of March. uh, And it runs from 9.30 to 4.30. It's... um, it's the fifth of its kind and it has uh, Rosemary Connolly will be there, um, Barbara Armstrong, Armstrong, OBE, Sue Tonks. So a, num- a number of uh, known ladies. And not only is there one in Nottingham, there are there are um, groups in Birmingham, uh, Coventry, Derby, Leicestershire, etc. And it's the Love Ladies Business Group which is organising that. So just Google them and you will find out all of the other activities that they're doing for International Women's Day. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. This week on the reviews, me and Heather have gone in two separate directions, but inspired um, by the same stream of messages that we sent each other. Um, I'm looking initially at an article that said in the headline, 15 documentaries that will make you smarter about business. So I headed down that rabbit hole. Heather, your headline was? Uh, Mine were TED Talks. Okay. 11 TED Talks that will make you smarter about business. Okay. Now I will say, first off, I didn't watch all 15 documentaries. In fact, there were documentaries that were on Netflix or supposed to be on Netflix and I struggled to find the, f- the first few that I thought, oh, that looks interesting. I watched that. I couldn't find it online anywhere. But um, I'm not disappointed with the one that I actually did watch. It's a documentary from 2016 and it's called Banking on Bitcoin. And we, we've talked about Bitcoin a little bit in the show and it's I sort of I've been aware of it and I sort of read a little bit about it and I've, I've got a vague sense of what it is. And I've got to say that. If you're a little bit uncertain about Bitcoin, 
this at least the first hour of this documentary wow, is worth okay. watching it's an hour and a half an hour and 20 something and the the first part of it re- really did help but not enough that i feel i could fully explain it to somebody else but i've, I've started to feel that I'm, I'm getting the the gist of how it works and essentially bitcoin is the most disruptive invention since the internet apparently wow that's, that's what quite it says. a claim yeah and um there is um the 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 makers of this show are aiming to just show how this technology could could change our lives and the early pioneers are, are talked about they're interviewed and they talk about the development of bitcoin some of the problems that they've faced and in in some ways, I was, I was feeling like, well, I don't really need to know a bit. I've read some of the headlines about Bitcoin. You know, it's not money, is it? And then some guy on there said some, they, they had some really um, relevant contributors, a journalist from Wall Street and from uh, New York Times and things like that. So one guy just said, money is just an accounting system. It records who owns what, who has what and who owes what to whom. And you need someone as a central issuer and a trusted third party. And typically this has been the government. They went on to say that Bitcoin is in the same way, just an accounting system. and But it's designed in such a way that it gets rid of fees. It also gets rid of the risk of corruption and fraud. And it's an automated trusted third party function. So instead of the bank or the government acting as that third party, as that intermediary, it puts the the ledger of account on public record. Every Bitcoin is accounted for so that you know that you're getting the real deal. That's when it gets a bit technical and it dives into um, the the roots of cryptocurrency and the the cypherpunks. That's a new word I I learned from this. Uh, Cyberpunk is someone who uses them encryption when accessing the computer network in order to ensure privacy and then i i also learned about this new sort of uh, this person i'd not heard of before called satoshi nakamoto who is actually an unknown person or group of people that is the name used by whoever it is that developed bitcoin in the first instant that they authored the first bitcoin white paper and created and deployed the first reference material for bitcoin and there's there's lots of articles about who is he who are they you know do, do, have the government in america now found out who it is and really quite interesting so the whole documentary just opened up some avenues for me um i did a little bit of research into what bitcoin mining is because i'd first heard of that on um, the big bang theory but the one episode where they they talked about doing some Bitcoin mining and it sort of gone into my head and I thought, that sounds interesting, but I've not got a clue what it is. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But this time I went down that rabbit hole and, and it is sort of the way that they make sure that the network is trustworthy and secure by by this Bitcoin mining. I'm not going to go into the details of it. Like I say, I don't understand it fully enough yet to fully explain it. But I think if you're like me and you're you're interested, but you, you know you need that little bit of hand holding. It's worth watching. Like I said, at least the first hour of this documentary, the graphics they use to explain Bitcoin and to explain money and money transactions is really very good. But on the back of that, I, I did a bit of search um, Bitcoin. I was I was looking at Bitcoin mining, and an article from February fourteenth popped up. J P Morgan, 
well-known bank, is launching its own cryptocurrency. Oh, yes. Can they do that? Well, apparently they can. And they're going to service their institutional clients um, with the settlement of funds. And it's just in the prototype phase. But clearly there's something in cryptocurrency. The, the, The big banks are doing a lot to discredit the Bitcoin movement, but presumably... They would, wouldn't they? <laughs> because they're not in yeah. control of it. But really interesting that um, you know the major players are starting to get interested in this. And if they're developing their own cryptocurrency, then I think it's certainly something that we should become more aware of. We should at least have a, at least a passing knowledge of what what this is all about. This magic of Bitcoin. Totally. So but, that's the rabbit hole I yeah, went down wow. this week, Heather. Where did you go? Okay. Well, I um, I was looking at the. The TED Talks, the 11 TED Talks, and they're, they're, they're wide-reaching and varied. There's one, um, Simon Sinek, Daniel Pink, a number of people. But I honed in on one by a guy called David Berkus. Um, it's from 2017, and it is Why You Should Know How Much Your Co-Workers Get Paid. Now, this is quite a contentious um, topic. But we just don't do that. In we the just UK, don't do it, do we? Do we? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's rude to ask somebody what they earn. Um, and it's certainly rude to tell anybody how much you earn. But it's not in Norway. But it's not in Norway. Yeah, because of the, the transparency. Anyway, he builds on this and, and talks about how, you know, if you knew what the person sitting next to you earned, it would be easier for you to negotiate uh, a pay rise. Uh, he also talks about if people... Um, think that they're being paid the market rate, they often feel that they're being underpaid because, which is which is in itself is bizarre because there are people who think that they're working harder than the average um, the average pay scale. Um, it's so it's a really interesting talk. It does get you thinking, and he also makes the claim that. It's in the interest of organisations for employees not to discuss their earnings because they can save a lot of money that way. Because if you don't let everybody know what everybody's earning, then you can you can underpay people. Um, And he's quite cynical about that. And and in many ways, I agree, um, because most people don't know how their pay compares to other people. However, as an employer it can be really, really difficult. Forget the gender thing. Let's let's just assume that everybody is paid equally in terms of uh, their, their gender. But sometimes you might have somebody who has, who is performing exceptionally well. You know, somebody is employed to do a job of work for a salary. And unless you have bands, salary bands or grades, it can be really difficult because there's somebody who's going the extra mile and you want to keep them and you don't want, you know, you don't want them to become um, disenfranchised because the person who sits alongside them and is paid the same is only, you know, working, is on a work to rule, whereas they're pushing the boundaries. So it can be really, really difficult because sometimes you want to reward performance. Uh, and do you do that as a bonus or do you do that as part of a salary? Or So it gets really complicated. Um, but it's a, re- it's a really interesting TED Talk. It's, it's not massively long. It's only about seven or eight minutes long. Uh, it's one worth watching because it gets you thinking. And if you are an employer, there are some really interesting snippets in there that might make you think about the way that you deal with the way that pay is discussed in your workplace.
You're listening to the business community on Callan FM. Our business leader for this week is Stephen Smith. He's the founder of Poundland and not, as Wikipedia points out, uh, the founder of the former discount chain Pound World. Right. Clearly, let's get that a lot clear. of people have made that. Um, mistake. And Stephen Smith founded Poundland in December 1990, according to his website. And apparently 85% of all people in Britain have been into or shopped in a Poundland store. And he sold his business in 2002 for £50 million. So apparently... And again, I'm quoting from his website, the idea of Poundland was born when Stephen started working on his parents' market stall in Bilston at the age of 14. Apparently, they made more more money from selling items in the 10p to £1 box than the takings from everything else on the store. He didn't start Poundland straight away. Uh, It was quite a few years later. But he grew the business and his wife was involved. She was doing HR and payroll and bringing up the family. And now all of his children are involved. They either have full-time or part-time jobs connected with the family businesses, including recruitment companies, estate agents, and now an online retailer called poundshop.com. You may have seen Stephen Smith. He's been on the TV. Uh, BBC's show Pound Wars. He was in a programme called Real Stories on ITV1. And recently, more recently, in a a a programme on Channel 4 called Million Pound Properties, where him and his wife Tracy were seen house hunting. He's the ambassador and ambassador for Royal Bank Scotland NatWest Entrepreneur Spark. He's a retail ombudsman whose job it is uh, to oversee a responsible dealing and dealing with complaints from consumers and retailers all over the UK. And on his website, he says his day job is mentoring people and investing in new businesses to help them grow. His website is stephensmith.com. And you'll find on there his motto to life is let's make it happen. (laughs) So, Heather, what did you find out about Stephen? Well, apart from the the thing that you pointed out to me, which I I, I think is quite interesting, there is a Poundland Museum, um, which is is at the residence of Keith, Keith Smith, Steve Smith's father. And it depicts the life of Steve Smith and his rise as market stallholder at Bilston Market to a multi-millionaire. I just can't. If my dad said, I've got a great idea, um, I'm going to open a museum to you. I think I would say, <laughs> yeah. I did a don't. quick search. Um, it, it's um, the properties is, is um is, is quite a historical building and the museum does also cover um, it's Ludston Hall. I just looked that one up and uh, it does um in cover other history of the building as well so a small section of it right yes okay i i, I when i first read that i thought oh, my word there's a the whole house is a museum to poundland yeah. but um it's also <laughs> um it covers the history of this this ludstone hall as well right okay uh, i'll let him off a little bit but but not <laughs> a lot i still think it's it's interesting anyway his website is 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 interesting it talks about what you know uh, it talks about him, it talks about his family, it talks about awards, it talks about um, new business, tips that he has, business tips, uh, the portfolio of businesses that he has. But what I think, it's not often you go to a website, it's somebody's 
personal website and there is a section called domain names. So I thought, right, I'm going to click on that and see what, what we've got. And essentially, he seems to buy up domain names. Uh, and sell them on. And, and sell them on. So there are quite a few that are not for sale, um, like Pound Menu, um, PropertyFund.com. Anything we, with pound Pat, yeah, yep. so, but, but that you say that, but um, there's one called 99psite.co.uk and 99psite.com. They are available. Order from home is available. Um, Canyon Deliver is available. Um, Pet Idols is available. <laughs> um, Hot Baguettes is available. It, it, the Pound Menu, Pound Sweets, Pound Meals, Pound Tapas, Pound a Plate. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just found it really interesting. And there are 319 domain names wow. that he has. Um, which I just... Hoping somebody just wants to buy them off him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, Make it, my offer, Heather. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I Pet idols. I don't know. So I found that, I found that quite interesting. Um, there's there's a lot if you if you Google um, Stephen Smith there's lots of information about he and his wife selling their house near Bridge North um, for you know mega bucks and then having to reduce um, the price of it. Um, there's also an interview with him um, from last year when he was at the business show uh, and he talks about his story um, and yeah he's I don't know. It's difficult to get a sense of who he actually is. Without, um, he, I don't know. He, intriguing. I don't know. He's intriguing, but he, he, he seems to like substance. And I know that sounds ridiculous. You know, he's massively wealthy. He's built this amazing business, but I, I don't know who the real person is. He's almost mm. like, um, and he's entitled to his privacy. Of course, he is. He's almost like a caricature of himself. Well, he has written a book. I okay. haven't read it. So um, if you want to find out more about him, maybe it gives you an insight. It's called Stephen Smith, The Poundland Story. As far as I can tell, it's only available as a Kindle version and it costs £1.20. Um, however, the book costs £1.20. Yeah, on Kindle. <laughs> one pound. It should cost £1, shouldn't it, really? <laughs> um, one reviewer Sorry. does mention a lot of typos. So if you're the sort of person that gets irritated by typos in books then maybe you steer clear of that one i went on to have a look at him so i followed some links from his website to his twitter page uh, his bio says steve smith founder of poundland let's make it happen but the last activity on there was 2017 so twitter's not his thing linkedin however there's a bit more activity on linkedin he's described on there as poundland founder investor consultant mentor He's chairman of the board of Greenfield Capital, which provides bridging loans and property finance from £26,000 to £5 million. He's also a member of the board of Kind Consultancy, an executive search specialist and uh, an investor in Max Time, Smarter Time and Attendance Systems. He's an investor in Poundshop.com, which is the online retailer that we mentioned before and former um, um, experiences Poundland and deals with a Z. So he's also got a link to his Instagram account, which feels more like a family travelogue. It's called Follow the Smiths. I did a quick search as usual on Company's House. So he's a director of Cobb's Sandwich Shops, and there's four different companies um, with Greenfield Capital in the title, and he's a director of all four of those. 
So then I did a, extended my search a bit more to Wikipedia and they mentioned David Dodd. I'd never heard of David Dodd. David Dodd was apparently a co-founder of Poundland. Okay. Which Stephen doesn't mention at all. Um, I did a, a quick search on there and David Dodd's got a LinkedIn uh, account. So a career path that began as a market trader, progressed through to wholesale and importing. I founded Poundland in 1990 with Keith and Stephen Smith. The company grew very successfully and in 2002, which is the time that Stephen said he sold the business, he led, David Dodd, led an MBO backed by Advent International and he became the CEO. So there we go. That's what I found out. And I've got a quote, which I got from his website. Right. I haven't got a quote, um, but I will just go back to his top, his business tips, which... They're just a list of statements um, and I'd like him to expand on them. You know, I feel like I need to click on, you know, cash is king. Okay, explain to me what why. What do you feel about that? Yeah, why, you know, why is that? Um, trust is the biggest word in the dictionary. Expand why? on that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, there's some there's some great ones, you know, don't worry about the competition, worry about what you're doing. Totally, absolutely. But I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about the man and the why and why he thinks those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and how thinking those things has helped him to achieve achieve his fifty million pound. That's a very wealth. good point, and it makes my quote look insubstantial now. Oh, because I picked it from the tip section. Oh, go on. And now you say it, it's like actually it means something to me. Yes. I don't know what it means to Stephen Smith. But however, he says in that tip section, what is important is not what you are working on, but what you have completed. Yeah, seems quite valid. Yes, yes. And absolutely. what we have completed is another show. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.